Hey, welcome to Knowles 24-7's On The Bench Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, and I'm recording a clunky introduction. Uh, clunky because we had one already recorded. That's we being myself, Josh Newberg, and Chris Nee. And I thought it was really good. Uh, we got to to make fun of, let's see, Game of Thrones, uh, University of Florida, Wayne McGahee, friend of the show, Josh's age. Like There was a lot rolled into the first minute or so, but... But apparently the internet didn't like it as much as I did because it's now like in the ether somewhere and got eaten and destroyed. But anyways, uh, I'm re-recording the introduction and I'm hopeful it's a fairly smooth transition into the rest of the show because it's a good one. I I think we go over a handful of good items, including uh, the APR and and the fallout from from the end of the Jimbo Fisher era still. Uh, We throw a little bit of shade at at Rival Florida and kind of weigh in on what's happening in Gainesville. It's a dumpster fire. And, uh, and Chris Nee has some really good insight on the athletic department and and the kind of the change-ups going on there, or I guess more status quo, if you will, with the, uh, the interim title being removed from Florida State's athletic director, David Coburn. So anyways, uh, before, uh, before the podcast really gets going, there's a little bit of navel-gazing going on for the show, as always. So uh, I'm going to throw it to Josh Newberg so he can talk about his interview with Wally Burnham. And, uh, and Josh, uh, here we go. What do you think was uh, a better part of that interview that people can listen to from, from this past week? Uh, Wally Burnham talking about coaching Derek Brooks and Marvin Jones, or him defending Kendall Bryles' Baylor offense while he was at Iowa State? The Bryles stuff was a little unexpected. Like that was, a, that was great insight from, you know, you think about these interviews and how you want to conduct them and all the angles or whatever the questions. And that was one that I had not thought of prior to like how did I miss that he was at Iowa State guarding against the Baylor you know he was the defensive coordinator at Iowa State for eight years um, guarding against the Baylor offense while Riles was there so his insight into what it actually is from from a person that tried to defend it was intriguing um, and then of course the stories on Marvin and Derek I had written down as things that I wanted to touch on but you never know until you get into the interview, like, is he going to remember this or is he going to tell the story or is he told it a million times and we're going to get the B version of it. But man, Wally was awesome. He sat down and he answered it all, went into depth, uh, provided some stories. And um, man, that was I, I can imagine anybody that was at FSU or cheering for FSU during those days is going to want to listen to that. I actually listened I to a podcast. Ask. You did? I listened you to did? Yeah. At one, me and Josh are friends with um, some of Wally's boys, Shane, who's coaching, Pat, who formerly coached. Um, and truthfully, listening to it from the FSU fandom side of it, I was thinking, man, his kids had a really cool upbringing. <laughs> like, they were around some really cool stuff. Um, but I agree. I found the Bryles stuff very interesting. It's, uh, you know, you hear a lot of – anytime you hire a new coach, it's all – Usually, you know, oh, he's great at this, or he did this, he did that. Hearing a guy who tried to defend it, who dealt with it, who kind of saw the bullets flying was a great perspective. And it was something that I, too, did not expect walking in the door. He volunteered it. Yeah. That was what was so neat. uh, I'm on the other other end producing it and just, like, sending Josh notes and for him. But he's obviously done this for a long time, doesn't really need me to send questions. But as soon as he asked about Bryles, I start typing – Ask more about Bryles, yeah. and then we like both got legitimately excited about it. It was really good, and and for our listeners, I think we got good feedback. But guys, like that's something that we want to do with Josh weekly from here on out, or at least through the summer. Uh, maybe eventually get a consistent date, but for now, we want to have to churn out like some kind of interview where Josh and you see his strengths there uh, on display, where he gets to sit down and interview with people that he's met throughout the years in the industry. Josh, how long have you been covering football for at some point or another? Since 
Well, I was an intern with Dave Peters on the territory, which was scout.com in 2004. Jeez, you're old man. That's, yeah. That's then I went on to cover, then I went majors. on to cover USF from 2005 to 09. I worked with fish at elite scouting services for almost two years. And in September of 2010, I've been with 24 seven. So which working two years with fish is an eternity. I want a podcast with <laughs> fish and Wayne and we just sit and watch it's it. It's an angry bot. <laughs> it would be a lot like Game of Thrones last night. There's a lot of fire and the, a lot of burning. The best would be watching fish just poke Wayne and know he's doing it and just having on and Wayne legitimately getting angry. That would we, be. We have some fun stuff planned for this summer. So anyways, that's enough navel gazing for now. Sorry, sorry, we really derailed this. There were two newsy items that occurred last week. Uh, neither one I thought was important enough for us to drop everything and do like an emergency podcast, but enough for us to spend uh, the first part of this episode going over. So first, it was a Friday news dump, more or less, right? 3 p.m. Very on much Friday. So, yes. It wasn't quite a 5 p.m. news dump, but it was darn close. And that's uh, Florida State announced the hire of David Coburn as the full-time athletic director. A little bit of background, and this is going to be a Chris Knee Jam because – He's as well in tune and in touch with, with this whole process as, as anyone I know, uh, more so than I am, more so than Josh, more so than just about anyone on the beat. Like he knows his stuff here. So I want Chris's insight. But so you guys know, uh, David Coburn was hired as the interim or he's brought on as interim in August. And that's after Stan Wilcox left for a uh, fairly abruptly for a job uh, with the NCAA. Uh, so Stan leaves right before the season. And uh, and David Coburn kind of steps in. He's a friend with President Thrasher. Known him he for was, a long time. He was essentially Thrasher's number two for right. a vast majority of Thrasher's time as president. So he's someone that Thrasher trusts, and he kind of handed over to him the athletic department to be the interim. Now that interim title is stripped. He is the twelfth athletic director in program history. And with that, Chris, I will shut up and, and let you do your thing. He's uh, he's a money guy. At the end of the day, he's a guy who wants to make sure the books are correct, the books are right, and the books are in line, and that finances are going the right direction. The whole title thing, I think people are getting way too into a tizzy with it. I, I don't think there's any difference in the job that David Coburn is doing today compared to the job he was doing Friday morning when he woke up with the interim title. It's no different. I think there's a few reasons for it. One, we got spring meetings coming up this week. He's been on the job for nine months, so why leave the title when he's going to be on the job for an extended period of time? And I expect him to be on the job until President Thrasher retires. I think this ultimately boils down to one main decision. President Thrasher does not want to hire a full-time AD, retire, hand that baton off to the next president who may not want the AD just hired. David Coburn is not going to be the full-time AD for the next president. The goal is for the next president to have a nice table set for finances to be in order, for things to be straight, and for him to go hire the person they want to hire as an AD. The university, financial people, people that are heavily invested, those who help make decisions, want to hire an AD who can be a long-term AD for them and kind of help navigate the crossroads that a lot of people at FSU feel like they're at. Digital platforms are a huge new thing. Obviously, the video service with ESPN is going to go full broad. FSU's always had, or not always had, but over the last, I think it's six, seven years, linear network ability. FSU's seminal production is far ahead of the game compared to most ACC schools. So FSU's well prepared for this next step. But the thing is creating financial windfall from it, making sure that you have success from it with digital platforms. It's something that Stan Wilcox was believed to be strong in, and truthfully, I don't think Stan did a whole heck of a lot of anything with it, which is disappointing. But FSU has the ability 
with the ESPN platform of launching to go even bigger with it. And I'm talking, you know, them having a subscription service, them creating more revenue, more ad revenue, things of that sort. So that's something that you want to see with an AD. The next AD's job for FSU is going to be fundraise, 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 and make sure things stay in good order. FSU athletic programs as a whole are pretty successful. Obviously, football, biggest cash cow of the bunch, needs to get the ship right. I think everybody gets that. Everybody understands that. Everybody involved in that understands that that is a necessity. Boosters, obviously, is sweating that. They're losing memberships. They're losing money. They need it turned. Huge party AD job will be making sure that if there is a transition with football, that it's handled appropriately. But with the whole Coburn title thing, people should not get in a tizzy over it. It's not that big of a deal in that sense. He is going to probably make the baseball higher, but let's be honest, it's probably Mike Martin Jr., which it's been for a long time. I don't think an AD change there necessarily changes it. I don't think it's a simple hire you know, by handing it off to Coburn. I think it's a hire that was going to be made regardless. Coburn's job is to make sure when the baton is handed off by the next, from this president to the next president and they hire an AD, that it's a much more appealing job for an AD than it was when Coburn took it over nine months ago and that it currently is today. I got two questions for Chris on the AD situation. Um, is Coburn kind of the antithesis to what Wilcox was? Are they opposites or are they more similar? Well, he's much more financially minded with being in the books and sticking to a strict number. Which not a Wilcox lot of people are excited kind of Lilly, about, right? Money, which is Wilcox why FSU, they, this is why FSU is somewhat in a predicament with some things financially is because money was promised or money was given that simply wasn't there kind of foolish and there were jobs created that didn't need to be created that cost money while other jobs are a necessity that the money wasn't there for. So Coburn's kind of recalibrating all that, trying to get it in order. From a fan's perspective, they love a guy like Wilcox that doesn't give a crap about a, a budget and will cut checks left and right. No the Wilcox. Um, yeah, because I, I a lot of Wilcox was really very popular with anybody. Well, I see a lot of people concerned that Coburn is too conservative with the money and too conservative with which, well, you know, for good reason, because we're in a situation right now. Wilcox had the benefit of basically riding the wave of a national title where purse strings loosen themselves. He stunk at actually getting people to invest money in the sense of the general person opening up and giving more money because, man, that guy motivates me from the podium. He's a good fundraiser. He was not great at doing that. I also don't think he was great at working alongside Seminole boosters to do that. I think Coburn very much wants to do that. I think what you saw in Unconquered Magazine with them kind of taking a direct approach of these are some of the shortcomings we're having financially. You know, booster memberships down, ticket sales down. We need people to invest. I think that kind of brutal honesty is going to win some people over. I understand people that are like, oh, he's worrying too much about money. And I'm one of these people that FSU has a lot of money in the piggy bank. The thing is making sure that money is spent correctly and appropriately and that it works the right way and that, you know, football gets a legitimate piece of the pie, which in this case is $60 million of the $100 million fundraising they're trying to do to build that facility as well as other stuff. But you also want a new scoreboard for softball. It's needed. You need a new batter's eye for baseball that doesn't look like an erector set that was put up in 10 minutes. You need other things here and there. Basketball wants to do some more phase work on the locker room areas. So there's a lot of stuff like that that you need to build to, but you need money coming in and being appropriated in the correct manner. I don't know that Wilcox did that. I feel like, in retrospect, that Wilcox, with the money, 
there were promises made, but it didn't always come through. And there were other examples where too much money was being pushed out without enough input of new income. I think when you so talk is Coburn about, the like answer, you do, you think, do you think Coburn's the answer long term? Oh, heck you? no. And I don't think Coburn thinks he's the answer long term. Coburn is not in love with this job. He's not – power hungry with this job. He's doing this job as a favor to the president who he's very close to and for a university that he loves. The man has three degrees from the university. He cares greatly about FSU and he's been a huge piece of success for FSU in a lot of realms for a long time in a behind the scenes role. He only stepped forward because they need somebody to step forward at the time. When he sat down and spoke to us right after he took the job, it was clear as day the man did not love having a job, but he was going to do the best he could within the job. And he's also trying to, as I said, set the table for the next next person. My mother made this point. She's very right. If you go to church, it's always uncomfortable at church when the priest, pastor, whoever you're listening to on the podium asks you for your money, you know, tithing and all that. It's kind of that way for these people, too. But it has to be done. You have you have to have money going in for it to run appropriately. Schools like Clemson are having immense success because they're investing so much within programs. Now, there's plenty of discussion within the discussion. Does all the money go to one sport like Clemson does with football so heavily, or do you spread it out more so like FSU has over time? That's all another discussion we're not going to have today. But at the end of the day, the, the name of the game is money and making sure it's appropriately correctly and handled correctly. Yeah, the, the more money you got, the more uh, decisions you can make that can excite the fan base. It's, it's yeah. real simple. Mo so money. basically, FSU just needs to go out and find a fundraiser. Is yeah, mo money, mo problems ain't the issue. Mo money is needed. You need yeah. money coming in the door. No money, mo problems. But FSU, they're paying off coaches, right? You know, hiring, firing, mainly with football. They're dealing with needing some massive facility upgrades, namely the football facility. But there's other things that need to be done. Overall, FSU's facilities are good. I wouldn't say they're great, but overall, they're good. They're very good. But the last massive upgrade of facilities was the Dave Hart era. And we're fairly well removed from that now. So FSU's kind of – people have described it to me as a crossroads, and I very much believe that. I think the goal is for when the next AD steps in and they want a big boy hire for the next AD – but you also got to be appealing to make a big boy hire. And I think they're working to try to make themselves more appealing right now. But when you get to that crossroads, they want to be set up to have success and not to be more clean up before you can get to the point where you're trying to have success. I would say right now they're in a phase of cleanup. Coburn's a, a fixer. I mean, I think that's the yeah. best way to describe it. He's he's going to do the nitty gritty, the stuff that uh, basically, like Chris said, makes it appealing for the next person. So that means he's going through, he's not slashing budget, but he's talked about having to cut money from, from the budget. And yeah. he feels like it's bloated and money hasn't been. He's not so obsessed well. with the bottom line that he's going to sacrifice the goal of winning. Right. No, he's not. Which I, I think, think is what some people worry about. Correct. He's not of that nature. He wants programs to be ultra successful and he wants to give them the ability to be ultra successful. But he wants to do it in a smart, feasible manner. He wants him to move or to to maneuver smoothly. Yes. I mean, look at what under his watch with him being the before the interim AD. Look at the money that FSU football invested in its coaching staff in terms of whether buyouts or bringing in coaches that are going to cost a, a fair amount of money. But then you look at the way the Randy Clemens situation was handled. He was aggressive with the financial perspective. Or when I say aggressive, it was almost passive where he waited. But he, he took a, a hard line in the sand. And allowed it to play out so he could save Florida State, you know, $40,000 in a buyout. I think we could argue whether the optics were worth that or not. But from a, a, and that's when we talk about him looking at the bottom line and that being important to how, how David Coburn operates. I think that's a perfect example. He, 
they would have gotten Randy Clements one way or the other, but he doesn't want to just throw around money willy-nilly because he knows that they don't have that to do. Right. They don't have that luxury. And I think the timeline for people that are interested in that is certainly after football season, but a year from now, I'd be surprised if Coburn is still the AD. The expectations that he'll ride out with President Thrasher, which right. is what another year and a half or so with his contract. Uh, I forget what I, I don't know. I what need it to is. look at that to be positive. Okay. All right, that's fine. But this was a. All right, let's move on. Uh, Chris, you talked about that very well, considering it's a fairly boring topic. But I think that was important. Thank you. Good job. Kudos I don't. I, I truthfully don't understand a lot of people's like unhappiness with Coburn. I don't. I don't get it. I don't think he's misstepped since he took that job. And I think he's truthfully done a lot of good since. Well, he took think that about job. when when Dan Wilcox left. There was kind of this. I think everyone was the fan base, at least based on our readership, was happy. Correct. Right, but I think people expected an immediate great high. Well, that, well, that's which what I wanted would to love to make. Yeah, that's what but I, I wanted to get to. I think there's a middle gap that has to be filled in, which is what we're currently in. But which that's is, not what we were expecting initially. No, think about what you were told, Chris. But when the that whole first financial happened. thing and stuff came to light a little bit mm-hmm. after that transition. With that, period. but I'm just saying more from the fan perspective, you're thinking, okay, this guy who's kind of considered boring and not a great leader leaves, and you're thinking, and initially. You, Chris, like you thought that they were going to go make a splashy hire. That's and what I they, thought the goal would be to make it early this year. Right. right. And that was. But you have a horrible football season and you realize your finances are bad. So that, that causes things. you to somewhat hit the pause button. I'm more just saying that that's the perspective of yeah. people. No, I get yeah. it. But yeah, that that's the reality of Florida State's. And it's it's not an ideal situation. It's not as dire as I think as some people. The think next it is. AD hire is immensely important. For yeah, this that's what we're setting up for. And I think that truth be told, Florida State has a really savvy smart big picture guy who's okay like being kind of doing the dirty work and being the heavy and being someone who who makes our decisions that people may not like because he thinks that's better for his his program long term and he thinks he's david coburn was fraternity brothers with president thrasher right like they were they were no coburn i believe coburn was uh fraternity brothers at least he incredibly close friends with andy headed with andy okay all right that's when he's told the story of having a bear sitting on the right okay house porch there's a lot of history that he has with florida state and the roots and people who make big decisions it's not like he came out of nowhere to be interim ad he's Mm -hmm. been part of the university for decades on that florida state's in better hands and i think people want to give it credit for and are comfortable with so Let's move on to one topic that could be kind of boring, but I think we navigated through nicely to another one that's going to be could be kind of boring, but actually I think has a lot of implications too that are important. That's the APR, which came out last week. That stands for Academic Progress Rate. The NCAA releases that in about May every single year. It's always a slow time of year, so it's dissected. From Florida State's perspective, uh, their multi-year APR score of 936, and it's a scale of what? I don't know. It, usually doesn't go below like the 800s, but it, the top is a thousand with being perfect. And, and basically this measures, and it's not a perfect measurement at all. And it's the variables change. And it depends on like if guys uh, graduate or if they leave early to the NFL and then they come back and graduate, or if someone transfers, you get penalized. It's basically to see if a program is taking academics seriously is what they're trying to measure. If you go below 930 over that multi-year rate, which I think is four or five years, I can't remember off the top of my head. If you go below 930, then all of a sudden you are subject to, to penalties. That could be uh, reduced practice time. That could be a postseason ban, stuff like that, that are actually pretty severe. Uh, and it usually happens to HBCU schools or, or schools that don't have as much money. And it, it's kind of an unfair equity is that you see these schools that don't have as much money get penalized more. Uh, Florida State has, we, we talk about money problems, but they, they have better resources than, than almost every school in college football or just about every school. And uh, in their score of, bless you, Chris, of 936, 
was the worst in Power 5. This past year, through the 2017-18 academic year, it was a score of 922 points. That was really low. That's two of the last three years that Jimbo Fisher, under his uh, his guidance in this past year, was somewhat half Jimbo, half Willie Taggart. But in the two of the last three years, towards the end of the Jimbo era, where the score was really low, it was 918 about a year ago. So, Josh, I'll, I'll kick this to you. Sorry, it was 918 two years ago. Uh, but anyways, enough numbers. To me, this signifies what we've long talked about on this podcast, and that was that things were deteriorating beyond just the football field under Jimbo Fisher, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys have <laughs> this out brilliantly for the last, like, eight, nine months. Um, but, yeah, I think this is just, what did we call it? This is still the stench left on the program from Fisher. And it goes to show you that, you know, he got out while the getting was good. Got to give him credit. He knew what was coming. Um, but also it shows you that Willie has had a tougher mess to clean up than he originally. Well, I kind of find it hard to say that he didn't see this coming, but at least he didn't communicate it when he arrived that he saw this coming. So uh, maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe they hit, you know, they brushed this under the rug and, and had him sign the contract before he could see the APR numbers or something. But man, uh, those um, APR numbers were pretty heavily weighted in this contract. I mean, like, so like the bonuses from. Yeah. From my I understand was, Willie was shocked how little guys, some guys went to class, like how little academics was pushed. And it's nuts because FSU's APR for sports across the board is excellent. Really good. Like basketball. Football's horrendous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Willie kind of got a quick understanding last year that there was issues with academics and the, you know, amount that guys were focused upon it within the program. And some of that played into his inability to kick some guys off the team to a degree because you do that, you deal with APR. But at the end of the day, a lot of those guys still end up weeding themselves out, which which still impacts your APR. So that's kind of a, you know, pick your poison. Do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? But the APR, I mean, it's just it's embarrassing. It's, it, it's further proof that Jimbo did whatever the hell he wanted because, you know, you can't – Wilcox deserves some blame. He was the AD at the end of the day. He's a boss in that time. But for the other sports to be doing as well as they are in APR – it was clear that as a whole, the athletic program as a whole believes that academics is important for whatever reason that just was not applied to football and he couldn't put his fingerprints on it. But yeah, it's just, it's poor. I think it will bounce back. Obviously. I think it's, you know, you'll see some of those guys from those previous classes come back and finish. Kenny Shaw is a good example of that here recently. I think it's clear to current head coach cares a great deal about academics. We saw him take time out of his Friday to tweet about roughly 25 guys. And can I, can I weigh in on that semester? real quick? Yeah, Willie sent out, what, 24? I think the I 24, think 24 guys yeah. who had above a 3.0 GPA. To me, that was one of the first definitive, like, Willie Taggart PR moves to say, man, look at this cluster that I had to clean up. He's talking about the culture not being great, and he's dropped hints and yeah. stuff before. But this do, was the full court press. Does he do that if the APR news doesn't come about earlier no. in the week? You don't think so? Uh, did he do it last semester? I can't recall. I know he's tweeted about guys doing well at the end of the semester, but I, have, Maybe. I don't recall him singling out guys to that number. By I don't want stretch. to pretend that I know what, why Willie did it, but to me, that's how it came I, off. I certainly think it was a PR move. Yeah. But I think it's also him. I think he wants guys to earn praise. I, for I being agree. Good I agree. It can be both. He you talks can, about guys like Woodby is a good example about how Woodby is Lars a personification Woodby. of what they want. Lars Woodby. Thank you. You know, we want good football players who work really hard, who have a personality, who understand how to brand themselves, but are also taking the student part of student athlete very, you know, high importance. Then. Yeah, that's 
it could be both, dude. It could be that he cares about that stuff, which I think you look at his. I when I pulled up his APR scores at previous schools, they always improve. They always improve, and the year before he leaves, and it's tough with the APR guys the way it's it's measured or the way it's quantified. It's backdated. It was well, backdated, but usually it's it, it encompasses say a coach leaves. It encompasses like in this case a semester with one and a semester of another. Yeah, Jimbo's pre- getting a bonus at AM for a APR, and he has very little to do with the APR he's getting right. a bonus for. It's, so it's kind of silly. Um, but to that, yeah, you know, to what we're talking about with Willie, I think he is someone who legitimately does care how kids do, and and I've heard that from from multiple sources like that he has kind of a savior complex and i think that could be a flaw sometimes i think we saw that play out this past year um, but that could also really be a an overarching good thing too uh, but i did think that the the tweeting was kind of like a hey guys like we're making progress uh, look what we're doing under my watch i think that was clear to me I'm it, cool was, with that, it was though. a smart move i'm not criticizing it at all like flex a little bit dude yeah. because you inherited a shit show and and create the peer pressure of for the 50 or 40 or so guys on the football team who were not tweeted about hey there's some shine put on people that do their job right. on this team that do it and do it at a high level well, and that's why they allow us to be there during the null drills and if, shoot video if you're an athlete be, why um, not maximize the ability to basically take the money the school is giving you that you're earning as a football player and turn it into a degree and do it at a high level Prepare yourself for, you know, more than just a four-year football jaunt. Do it for a 40-year career. I think it's important for the football coach to have some investment on that. And it was clear the previous one didn't. His investment was on football and football only. I think this one, you know, is trying to be a more well-balanced human being. Jimbo's still got some supporters out there, huh? I don't know. Inexplicably so. Truthfully, the APR thing, because I was gone with the wife and the kids most of the weekend, enjoying some time with them. I didn't pay it a whole lot of mind. I wasn't surprised in the least by the number. I mean, it's been known that it was going to be bad. It was bad last year, and it was known it was not going to get better. It's pretty embarrassing as somebody that has a degree from the university that, you know, their football program's representing it in that way, as though academics are meaningless. And I think that's why a lot of people are pissed off about it, and they have a right to be. And it's why a lot of people probably aren't giving money to the university, because they're wondering why is the – you know, the focal point of the program of the athletics, why is it falling short? Why should I invest in that? I mean, it, it, it's not good, but it will get better. I mean, it can't get a whole lot worse. No, certainly can. And they're, mean, they're worse than Power 5 yeah, right now, yeah. or pers- worse than not Power 5. Don't, don't make me research what the penalties are. Like, that, that's not something in my job I'd like to do is research what the penalties are if you keep dipping. All right. Enough APR talk. We're going to take a real quick break. Get back to you. I'll talk about some UF shenanigans, and uh, and it's going to be a Josh Newberg-powered uh, final <laughs> segment. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to get into the, U- the UF shenanigans, but first, uh, real quick, I-, I promise more, Josh, <laughs> real quick, Chris, I'm going to give you two minutes max. Josh, I want you to count crit for Chris and you cut him off when it's his turn to go or his turn to stop. And then you can go and talk about what we all really want to talk about, which is the the dumpster fire down in, in, in Gainesville right now. But Chris, two minutes on non-revenue sports. I'll start with softball. They're the number four seed in the NCAA tournament. They won the ACC championship. They beat UNC, who was a four seed in the ACC tournament. Um, I believe five total teams from the ACC made the NCAA tournament. FSU is the only host team of those five. FSU has a number four national seed is matched up with number 13 seed Oklahoma State. If they make a super regional, their path to making it back to women's college world series is pretty good. Lonnie obviously has that bunch rolling after that little bit of a swoon they had with the UNC and Louisville series in the midseason. They've been very good here for the last month or so. Baseball-wise, they swept Richmond, final home series of Mike Martin Sr.'s career, likely to final home games of his career, as they're likely on the road for the postseason. Earlier in the week, it was a little weird. They played two with JU, two seven innings. They split those. They also played Stetson and got no hit at Stetson. Go figure. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, In general, with baseball, they're kind of in the same boat they were a week ago. They're definitely hitting the road for the NCAA tournament, but they're also – very much so in the NCAA tournament right now. They go to Louisville for a three-game series. Louisville is one of the five, six best teams in the country. Kind of sets up like 2017 where FSU was up and down. They're about to play a really good Louisville team at Louisville and then roll into the ACC tournament in Durham, North Carolina next week. That sounds great, Chris. We thank you for your participation. It's valued, and I am sure that that all sounded great for those that paid attention. Um, but we've got a shit show going on in Gainesville, fellas. Have you guys been, uh, have you seen what's been going on there? It is a all out dumpster fire right now, all out dumpster fire. And there is some like insidious stuff going on like that, that we do need to acknowledge, but, but go ahead and Josh enlighten us on what's going well, on in Gainesville. I'd say in the off season, everybody's time comes. I mean, we've had some wild off seasons ourselves <laughs> and, um, right now, you know, it just seems like it's UF's turn. And it started last month, really, when Jalen Jones, the four-star quarterback, um, got in some legal trouble, put himself in the portal. It looks like he's no longer part of the team in, in some capacity. I, you know, we don't expect him to be back. But then the big news of the week occurred Wednesday into Thursday when UF's top-rated commitment in their 2019 class, Chris Steele, spent less than four months in Gainesville and decided it's not for him. Um, he left camp, he left Gainesville, went home and ESPN reported, I believe also our 24 seven site reported that Dan Mullen and his wife flew to California, um, to try to sway the steals, but it was too late. Um, all reports, uh, as of Monday morning, have him long gone. Um, the Gator team took some shots at him out the door, uh, yeah, a little did. back and forth on Twitter last night. So it, it, things have been heating up and, and in the, you know, while this was all happening, the Gators also less lost three, four star 2021 commitments all within a 24 hour period. So when it rains, it pours in the off season. And right now it is pouring in Gainesville. So there's a, there's a lot to unwrap there. And there's a lot, there's a lot. 
and it, it's amazing how how it all kind of started was like a week ago and you start hearing the rumors and this was after the the kid was uh was accused of of sexual assault and entered the portal and and, and so some pretty heavy stuff there but as it comes out is that chris Steele was his roommate i can't remember who wrote the story who was the first to break i think exactly it may have been. yeah it was and he's with the gainesville sun um that's right josh so thank you so it comes out that Chris Steele, in at least his side of the story, is that he had requested to move, uh, change out, to change roommates, to move to a different dorm, or have someone else come in to, to be his roommate. That he didn't he he didn't like his roommate, and come to find out, uh, he, this guy ends up getting accused by two different people of, of sexual battery, I believe it is. You're talking about Jones was accused. Not Jones, Steele. correct. Jones was not Steele. Um, Steele had said that Jones was. A roommate that he didn't want to be with, and then that guy comes out and is accused of of some pretty terrible things. That looks really bad for Florida. Like I don't know, and and, and now the Florida side is kind of minimizing. I think Steele's well, concerns and saying that's not why he wanted to leave. But to me, that's a pretty. You come and you ask to leave, and say so you're not comfortable with rooming with someone. It doesn't matter why you are. Like why isn't a human's like right to? <laughs> to be comfortable taken into consideration. I never understand that in these type of situations. I mean, from a PR standpoint, the young lady who speaks to football teams and athletes about sexual battery and things of that sort, who does a national tour, I can't remember call her name, but she's very outspoken on Twitter, very socially aware. She came out and said that essentially still did the right thing by requesting it. And that's disappointing to see it transpire in this manner. Just from a PR standpoint, that's not good for them. The whole players attacking Steele thing I thought was weird. That, that like, emerged last night. That was Trayvon Grimes, who's it's kind of I don't know if he started, but that was the most uh, that was the most retweeted one that we saw last yeah, night. See, right? I'm Grimes okay himself with that. that transfer. Yeah, but I'm okay with that because I, I get what it is. They're going to go at each other in Twitter. Everybody probably deleted their tweets by the morning, and everybody's going to move on. But I'm okay with it because it it at least unifies. The guys that you got in there, Steele's gone. So what? You know, who cares? He's gone anyway. This kind of brings things back together. Um, I mean, we saw Jalen Ramsey take shots at guys that you know. John, remember, he went back and forth to John Franklin a couple times. Yeah. Right, but, but the reason yeah. they're leaving are very different. At least the optics of it are. I think that's yeah, least. it is. But I mean, who knows? We're getting one side of the story. There's right. always three sides. You know, Steele side, the Gator side, and the truth. So who knows what actually happened at the end of the day, though, um, we're I think we're kind of splitting hairs here. I think if you take a step back and you look at what's going on in the big three and we've been waiting to see which team is going to take the torch since FSU dropped it, you know, after their run. And Florida seemed like they were the front runners to do so. And everything's cyclical. Everything's cyclical. You know, you can't deny it when we're. When we're up, when FSU's up in 93, you know, UF took the chance to win it in 96. After UF wins it in 96, FSU takes it back. You know, then UF goes on their run, then FSU goes on their run. Miami gets mixed in there as well. And right now, FSU looks like, if, if you take a step back, they're finishing up their run. This, this 2013 run has been finished. And now would be the time when another team emerges. But you've continued to see the Gators kind of shoot themselves in the foot and not do the things that need to be done. Now, yes. Are they better than their rivals right now? Yes. Um, but are they going to make the jump to the national national stage? And I think when you, when you add up all the little things like bringing a quarterback in that you handpicked that doesn't make it due to character concerns, 
the highest rated prospect in your 2019 class is now gone due to, I'm not going to say character concerns on his end, but you know, off the field, red flags, these things, he he's been decommitted. He's transferred schools. He's, they put a lot of time and energy into him and now he's gone. Um, all of these things kind of add up. They're also not landing the elite players. Um, I see some things in recruiting at UF that, that make me kind of raise my head. Um, not signing Juwan Sider because they didn't want to focus on South Florida anymore. Sider goes up to Penn State. Do you think if Juwan Sider was still at Florida, they would have missed on Trey Sanders and Demarcus Bowman? Um, I'm not so sure. We'll never know. But you also look at what's gone on in the back rooms at UF. Lee Bagley. Uh, she had a lay low for years. Their recruiting coordinator couldn't be public, had a, you know, had some off-field stuff going on with her. They hired Chuck Canner. Chris, did you ever meet Chuck Canner when he was at Georgia about 10, 15 years ago? Not that I recall. Chuck Canner was an asshole. Um, I worked Someone with him helped. closely when I worked with Fish, and he was at UGA in like 08, 09 in that, in that time frame. And guess what? They fired him as soon as signing day was over. So Mullen brought him in after replacing the guy that they had in. I can't remember his name right now. But Chuck Canner came in one year, didn't make it. That was the wrong move. I I just see a lot of things going on. Then you got the Chris Steele stuff, right? Chris Steele leaves and you have a coach or you have an off-field recruiting guy take to Twitter to say that this is not my fault. Um. If that's going on in the back office, he's taking a Twitter not to talk to the fans or, or, you know, he's trying to not get thrown under the bus for this. You just have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in recruiting that makes me question whether or not UF is going to take advantage of FSU and Miami being down and not just take advantage to win the state. But are they going to take advantage to where it props them up to the next level? And right now I see them wasting a whole lot of time while UF and Miami are trying to kind of figure things out right now to josh's point it's hard for all the big three to be up at one time it's happened before in in history like but more in the modern era of college football like when has that happened it hasn't we're all three been clicking it's it's hard for even two to to even do it's damn near impossible because florida is so florida is so picked over now yeah Um, you have the clemson's georgia's the auburn's that come in here and take enough where you know there's only so much to go around despite being a great state recruiting yeah because there's a lot of guys but recruiting as as territorial and as fierce and competitive now as it's ever been it's also momentum driven and i feel like that for uf this past week has come to a screen and that's what i wanted to ask you guys so as it applies to the recruiting trail and it applies to uh, optics perceptive or perception you have a certain window to where you can capitalize on momentum and I know you can gain it, you can lose it, but man, how damning is this for Florida? Like this is your opportunity. You have a good season. Florida state struggles under year one of when did Willie struggles is being kind, very kind. The the first losing season in in decades, Miami has its own kind of cluster with the way the end of the Rick era transition. Exactly. And they're in transition and that could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Bottom line is this is Florida's chance to seize momentum. Even with a 10 win season, it felt like it was like a 14 win season, but man, guys, like, it kind of sucks for them, right? And that's good yeah. for Florida State. It could all blow over by June, July, and right. it could Absolutely. be right back to having Well, they got to, remember, they got a big barbecue coming up this weekend. So let's see what happens this weekend. Is it is it just some 
news cycle thing where there was nothing else to watch for and everybody was kind of paying attention to what was happening in Gainesville over the last four days? Or is this something that's going to really truly bleed over into recruiting? Um, um, nothing, nothing cures a toxic culture like some hot dogs and hamburgers, guys. We'll fix everything. <laughs> hey, but also, but also wins. Uh, uh, they went out and won. So at the end of the day, they are still standing on the fact that they went out and, and they separated themselves from the other two teams in the state. Um, but I do think, I, I don't know, I'm not sold that Dan Mullen's the guy and things like this kind of reinforce that. I think, especially early on, you've kind of got to come in with your guys, hit the ground running and go. Um, we've seen them make a lot of minor adjustments behind the scenes, um, some that have worked out and others that haven't. And I'm just surprised there's that much I don't know if I want to call it dysfunction, but I, I'm just surprised that this is all happening when it looks like this would be the time that they just take the torch and just run away from everybody. It's another fine example of recruiting class rankings being an interesting study as time goes on. As they change, yeah. I mean, for UF, that class is already going to look drastically different year one of it being on campus, you know, and that's happened plenty at FSU and everywhere else over the years where you look at a class 24, 36 months in, and it's half of what it was supposed to be and might have been ranked, you know, top five. But at the end of the day, you're not getting much from the top half of that class that made it top five. So it'll be interesting to watch that Florida class, you know, the one that just stepped on campus and the one that they're still waiting for a few other members to arrive to see how it actually plays out in the coming years because it was, for them, it was a bump class. It was a class that was supposed to make them better. It was supposed to be kind of Mullen's first step to – reinvigorating that roster as he works towards getting more elite players. And now it will be interesting to see, does that class truly really help him or is it another transitional class to a degree? And now he's in a situation where this next class needs to be what that one was expected to be. And then the, the future class too, uh, Josh alluded to it. They lost some commitments. What was it three? And yeah, and they, that's, I mean, it's Dink Bryce Jackson, Langston, Bryce Trevante, Trevante Rocker. Those are big guys. And again, as we apply this to this is a Florida State yeah. podcast, those are guys that Florida State would have interest yeah. in too. They're, they're guys that FSU's gotten on campus twice in the spring. They got right. Langston and Rucker up together for a junior day and then again on the spring game. So you can get real good with two real good classes in a row, but you can get real bad with two bad classes in a row. It's a very simple thing to go one direction or the other. Yeah, and I'm not ready to bury UF just yet. Um, yeah, I'm not either. I think that they had a ton of momentum coming off a of signing day. It is, uh, you know, quote unquote, unfortunate for FSU fans that they've dropped the ball and, and kind of left the door open for FSU now, or for UF fans, I should say. But here we are. Um, we'll see if they can kickstart momentum just like. FSU did. Uh, we saw FSU come out of signing day with literally zero momentum and they were able to get a, a little something going here in the spring. And, and that's why we see the class where it's at. So UF will still have their chances um, and they can kind of still bank on those wins and get back to football. But this is a very interesting time. <laughs> that's all. I'll say. And it's, it's kind of entertaining. This is what gets us through the off season. And you always just hope it's not your team. And when you are criticizing other teams, you know it could be your team right around the corner. So you don't say too much. Yep. Uh, the male soap opera that is football. <laughs> That's why All we're right. here. All right. Before we sign off, we have a, I asked folks for questions. I don't think we're going to get any. We've gotten some. Uh, Lightning uh, round. Poor, poor, poor planning on my part because I didn't ask until like about an hour before we recorded. So <laughs> shocking. Excuse you, Chris. All right. 
First question, This was, well, we just talked about this real quick, lightning round from FSU 1995, asked, what's your take on the situation at UF right now? How much does, just it, help FSU, how much does it help FSU recruiting is, is what we want to focus on. I, think I don't think it's going to help. Go ahead, Chris, what'd you say? I think it's a slight bump. I mean, I think yeah. anytime one of your main competitors loses momentum, it's good for you. Yeah, I don't think it's really going to help in terms of like FSU is going to all of a sudden be in on new targets and have new interest and all that, but um, – you don't want your rivals to get too far ahead. And right now this was like the only thing that could slow UF down in the off season. So it opens the door. It. it opens the door for Florida state to, to do some good things while kind of keeping rival in a, in check in neutral a little bit. Yep. So that I agree with you guys. All right. Quentin C asks, uh, heard some whispers on Xavier Peters over the weekend. You guys hear anything about him? We heard whispers too, Chris. I'll I mean, it wasn't much of a whisper in the spring when he got suspended. He he needs to mature. He needs to do things right. He's not currently in the transfer portal as of yesterday when we checked. You know, but he's a guy that yeah, he's certainly teetering on not being a guy that's on this team long term if he doesn't get the ship righted. And from what we were told, like the. The spring stuff it never got a, quite a hundred percent clear. Got yeah, some people said he came back late. People said it was academic. Yeah. It was never definitively stated. And truthfully, I haven't asked for it to be definitively stated to me. But I've been told multiple times by different people he needs to do things better. He needs to be a more mature individual. Yeah, it was more about maturity yeah. and him being where he needs to be. All right, Death of Gators. Uh, <laughs> all right. You just said it. <laughs> Never, yeah, it's not even a question. All right, here's a good one. Newton will ask if your staff was well, full circle. If your staff was Game of Thrones characters, uh, who would they be? My principal does this and calls me uh, Bron. Oh, that's gnarly. I'm not sure how they would take that, but it's probably close. All right, let's think. Game of Thrones characters. I think uh, Chris is kind of like Tyrion. Like he, he's very smart, very cunning, uh, not manipulative by any stretch of the imagination, but very thoughtful and very when he chooses his words, when he can actually pronounce pr- things, things, he's he's very witty. Um, and don't overlook him too because he he is very smart. So I'm gonna go with you. Calling me a midget. You are shorter. You can't, you can't say that. I'm gonna have to edit that part out too. You guys are killing me. I love midgets. We've had this conversation before. Josh is Daenerys. When he starts breathing fire, everyone dies. He's all I was going to say, I, I think I am Danny. I think that I like to win, and sometimes I also like to just burn it all down. <laughs> he's also got like a – he's very pouty too. <laughs> very, very diva-esque. Who would I be, guys? Do you want to – never. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. All right, guys. I don't guys. know enough names. Your ghost. I don't know enough characters. We just pushed you out. No one's going to pet me. Yeah. <laughs> because of CGI, we just pushed you out. We made it look really poor. Such a terrible episode. All right. <laughs> I think we responded well from a slow start. Am it's I not a slow finish. After this no, week? I think we're in a better place okay. this week than we were last week. Uh, I am going to ask for you, Chris, though, to sign us off and ask for a five-star review on iTunes because people respond to you doing it better than me because I'm not very likable. I'm a CGI dog that no one wants to pet. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I hurt your feelings? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Knowles 247 On The Bench podcast with Chris, Josh, and Brendan. You can get us on iTunes, on the website, and multiple other platforms. Rate us five stars on iTunes to make Brendan happy because he goes and reads every one of those reviews to me over the phone. <laughs> oh, thank the, you. The last, no wait, the last two comments. One, someone said that you sound like a uh, Mel Kiper, like a talking head of Mel Kiper, and then someone else said the only reason why they listen is because dot 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 <laughs> is because they're a Christie fan. So yeah. I can live with that. All right, but they were five star reviews, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.